Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. How's it going? Uh, I see. <laughs> well, now we don't have anybody. All right, well, we'll try it again. All right, well, we got one back. Hopefully we can get the rest of you back. Sorry for that. That was a snafu there. Um, find your favorite book. I'll be right back. Hello? Oh, okay. Here we are. If you want to share this with your friends. I don't know, we got switched around. Sorry about that. Of course, moving it to Monday and then messing up the link. All part of my life. Um, so as I get the house together, this is, gotta put a few more things here. Not sure which lamp's gonna stay. Hey. Um, obviously that picture is a little bit too reflective and then I've got the screaming hand there from Santa Cruz and I uh, won that award from, uh, from straight for quality oh, yeah there you go that's my I made that sign out of another sign um, Here's me and mom in Palm Springs. I think a lot of you have seen these probably before. Anyhow, working on the house, trying to get it together, but it's really cool that there's a shelf built into the wall here in the house because honestly, I've got too many books and I was able to get rid of a couple shelves that I was just holding on because they were just shelves. Um, yeah, crazy, uh, crazy week. Um, Sunday was exhausting because I was my friend's Kenny and Aaron came in on Saturday and with their four boys and we went downtown and it was like a staycation because I don't go downtown very often. I mean, now that I live closer, I'll be going to Seattle more. I live in Seattle now. I was in Linwood before. Um, but yeah, we went downtown and, you know, we were outnumbered. Adults were outnumbered to kids. There were six kids, five boys. <laughs> And uh, honestly, it was a blast. It was a really good time. Um, Kenny's brought me out to Canada before a few times, up the Great White North. And uh, that's how I met Zoe. And um, yeah, so good catching up. Good freaking seeing where people are. We were, uh, me and Kenny were talking about when we were in New York together and how, <laughs> It was a lot easier when we didn't have children and we could just roam around the city looking for overpriced denim. Um, <laughs> now we're looking for cheap restaurants. Now the world has changed for us. Um, so yeah, this today's talk to me is, is, is a bit revolutionary. Maybe I'm, I'm overdoing it. Uh, I did say that I thought it was one of the most important talks I'm going to give, and um, it, it might be. Um, I think it's important because I think it, it's definitely going to put a line in the sand for some people, and I don't like that, but it is what it is. And I would, you know, encourage people to really think on this one before they throw me out with the bathwater, but it's okay. I've been thrown out with the bathwater a few times. I just keep coming back. Um, sorry, my chain wallet is like clinking on... I'm sitting on a uh, Ikea shelf right now because I don't have any. I got rid of so much stuff and I got rid of my bar stools because there wasn't any need for them here. And unfortunately now I don't have anything normal to sit on. Cool hip pastor on the bar stool. So <clears throat> anyhow, thanks for sharing your, your Monday with me today. Um, it was great to see that, uh, uh, to see that quote from from Rick Rubin um, about quality is more important than deadlines gave me an excuse, but also Rick Rubin's been really 
his work has influenced me a lot. Like just like his like books and things he says in his interviews. He's a really interesting guy. And I think when he talks about how his approach to art and approach to music and approach to life is something I'm able to kind of grab a few of those little things and, and, and do the same thing and uh, use those for my approach to what I do here because to me it's not like I'm doing the Lord's work. It's like it's a type of art. It's a type of philosophy. It's a type of, of living that's, you know, I don't want to be like anybody else. Um, but at the same time, I need to remind myself that that's okay because sometimes you do want to be like everybody else just so you can feel secure, you know? So, hello, Jenny. Um, but yeah, so today is, 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 is a day where I, I, I want to take a look at, you know, which, uh, a lot of reasons we don't call revolution a church anymore and I don't like being called a pastor anymore is because Christians act like a bunch of jerks um, on both sides, you know. They're always like owning each other and scapegoating each other, making fun of each other. And it's just like such a freaking bad taste in my mouth, you know? I mean, it reminds me of like, what is it, Gandhi said, you know, I like your Jesus, but you're Christians, you know? <laughs> I do not understand. I used to have a, I used to have a, a, a sticker, and a sticker, like a magnet on my refrigerator, you know? And it was a guy, like a businessman talking to Jesus, saying, Zoe says he has no video or audio. Everybody else seems to have video or audio. Sorry, how does he know? Yeah, that's weird. Um, it's Satan trying to keep you from saying this. Um, but yeah, the split in the church, growing up in it, seeing it, and then staying that we keep this kind of same vibe into the thing, it's just not for me. I know it's for some people. Uh, it, it, it is for some people. It's not for me. Um, so I'm doing this now, thinking differently. Uh, welcome back, Zoe. Um, so yeah, you know, how do you get into a, a talk that you think is, is, is revolutionary? I mean, it's funny cause when I, I've done talks like this before, but like years ago when I was, had a bigger following and you know, things like that and you felt it and this one, I don't think I'll feel as much, but I hope it'll be the type of talk that we, we able to get out there and kind of ideas that we start sharing and talking more about. And, um, you know, there are definitely a few people that have inspired me for this talk. I mean, besides dead philosophers and theologians, but um, even Dan, um, who's out there doing really great work, um, scholarship-wise, and just really making me change my focus from theology to philosophy to more of like theology to scholarship. And kind of like focusing on those two and then making it go into maybe more of like where does theology come? Like when you put your theology and your scholarship together, that's when you start to see that there's, where's the theology? Here's the theology. Here's the philosophy. Here's the, you know, the, the study, the study, the study, the study. And um, the scholarship and the, the theology. That's how you come to philosophy. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm nervous today because this is a big one for me. Anyhow, let's get into it. I got four pages of notes, which usually I only have two pages of notes. Um, yeah, the built-in shelf is awesome, right? Because I needed it, one, and it's just really good. And then you can put your coffee table books on because I don't have a coffee table either. <laughs> but I have a place for my coffee table books. <laughs> so, yeah, I really like the built-in shelf. Maybe this might be the set forever. Who knows? Well, I'm going to clean this area up a little bit, though. So, thank you. All right. This is probably where the, after this, all that, Josh edited all that chitter chatter out. And for me, <laughs> this is probably where it'll get good. Expectations were not met with the coming of Christ. That's where we're going to start. Expectations were not met with the coming of Christ. Um, people had more expectations that Jesus was going to come early. 
sorry, I just read some, <laughs> read some text. He's leaving early, and I read early. Boom. No, Jesus had the idea, people had the idea that the Messiah, when the Messiah would come, Jews had the concept that when we have the Messiah, the Messiah is going to free us from Rome. It's going to free us from this government. And put our enemies like a footstool underneath our feet and we're going to get revenge and we're not going to have to live this way anymore. And um, so, so expectations were not met with Christ. What happened is, is Christ shows up argues with religious teachers, like all the religious teachers he seems to argue with, and then like the, the kind of like the slower religious guys who he chooses to follow him <laughs> um, aren't, aren't the sharpest tools in the shed. And even they question him at times and deny him and, you know, betray him and all this kind of crazy stuff. And then all the women disciples he had just get left out because they weren't supposed to write about women. And uh, so, you know, a lot going on here. But, but Jesus shows up, does some miracles, does some cool things where people go like, oh, this must be the Messiah. And gets killed by the government. And it seems like, well, that's kind of a disappointment. And then resurrection, new life. In three days, boom, and you think, oh, this is where he's going to start kicking some ass, you know, like, I'm back, you know, throwing nails at people. Um, but no, no, Jesus, oh, you got to love these people. Oh, remember when you denied me? I'll feed my sheep, feed my sheep, you know. It's not just about me. It's not about just denying me, but you need to keep doing your work. Feed the sheep, love others. Um, tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, gets rid of the, the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Um, so you got that. Um, and, and, and so, you know, this whole thing of like, well, don't, you know, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, it's like WTFJ, you know, we should make bracelet, bracelets that say that. WTFJ. Um, what the, Jesus? You know, what have you done? What's going on? Um, so what do we do? You know, what do some folks do with this information of that Jesus saying, love your enemies and do this kind of thing? The Apostle Paul comes on the scene and is saying like, yeah, don't judge each other. Stop, you know, stop giving each other a hard time. Stop putting your religious burdens onto other people. You know, be in a community and things like that. You know, that's one of our first Christian writings is, 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 is Galatians, which we go through every year um, right at the top. But, you know, so all this is happening. And what do you do? And what you do is you, uh, you write another gospel. Um, and at the time, they didn't know that these letters and, and books were going to be in the Bible, but or be the New Testament, um, part of this li this sacred library. Uh, so people wrote in Paul's name uh, the pastoral epistles: First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. And if you read them, it seems like someone who wrote those who did not like Paul, did not like Paul's message and said, we've got to tighten up the ship a little bit and try to tighten up the old message there. And, um, and I believe those are straight up uh, forgeries, to be honest with you. Um, like the book of Daniel. Did you realize the book of Daniel? It was written, written 230 years after it takes place. <laughs> so when the guy's making prophecies in the book of Daniel... Some of those prophecies were already passed, so he's like, and I bet you this will happen. Oh, my gosh, the Yankees won again. And then, um, you know, so there's some issues with the Bible that we should be talking about. Like, people back then are like, well, that was, that was okay back then. I always hear conservatives be like, well, that was a special way of writing back then. <laughs> it was, like, really cool. Like, oh, it's a dedication, you know. Um, like, it may be, but I don't think it would be, like, if you were going the opposite message of what they're saying, then I don't think it's cool. You know, like, I don't think it's cool to be like, I'm going to add, like, Null and void some of what this guy was teaching 
and put it in his name and just well, people think he just grew older and grumpier or older and wiser and more religious, you know? Um, no. And so I guess today's big moment is that I'm calling out the book of Revelation um, as another problem with the New Testament. So now I've, you know, I've got four problems. But I'm not going to say it, it, it's a forgery because it was written by someone named John. Um, so ironically, you know, you've got Paul, Paul who said, you know, if you, another gospel, another good news, and then his letters get put into the Bible and then are considered gospel, and then other letters are written in his name, which is another gospel. Ironically, that happens there with him. And the reason I wrote Re Re Revelation 2 is... Um, is how does it match up? How does it match up with Christ? Originally, why Revelation made it into the canon was because they believed that the John who was writing it was the John of the Bible, was the, one of the disciples, one of the followers of, of Christ, and so they believed that that was the same John. Now, most scholars today don't believe that. Um, but the cool thing is, is he never claimed it. So that's why I wouldn't say like, oh, it's a forgery or it was written. You know, he never claims to be that John. He just uses, that's his name, John. John the Revelator. And uh, I'll admit it's a cool book. But the thing is here is, 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 uh, is, is, it's kind of, the book that writes what I feel a lot of the people who expected the Messiah to come to do, to do. Like, Jesus didn't do any of this stuff. Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus said, come do this stuff. And then all of a sudden now, Revelation is written, and it's like, he's back, and he's pissed. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, damn. Like, Jesus is back, and he's coming for all of his enemies. And all of his enemies are going to get it. Which weird thing is, though, it seems like this writer also has some particular enemies who get it, kind of like Dante's Inferno, and Dante's enemies get like a lower level of hell. Some of his enemies, as well as God's enemies, get it in, in the book of, of Revelation. And, um, and it's just not Jesus. You know, I, it's so crazy because like, I think my dad really loves the book of Revelation, so we would have a huge disagreement on this, but it might be worth having. Um, there's just, you know, Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth and he's blood flowing up his robe and all these people are getting retribution. And this is Jesus who said, do good to your enemies, you know, love those who persecute you, uh, pray for those who hurt you. Um, and so you get this kind of almost like capitalistic view of like, well, you know, the wealthy or the gods get to do what we don't get to do, you know whatever. And for me, it, it doesn't seem to, 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 to make sense. Um, and this is, this is another big thing about Revelation, is that you have to accept, if you, if you have good scholarship on Revelation, um, this is not a prediction for the future. This is not a a prophecy for 2,000 years in the future. Now, probably since the 1900s or 1800s, people have thought that this was a prophecy, so much so that they predicted it. Um, matter of fact, like, I believe the, um, the Seven-day Adventists and um, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, come out of, of, uh, of those groups that were, like, really big in the 1800s that said, you know, Jesus is coming back, and here's the dates. You know, they were setting these dates. Oh, and this farmer found out this date and put it through in the, in the book of Revelation. Um, and so people for the past 200 years have thought, well, it, it's a prophecy. It's a prophet, and this is all going to come to pass, you know. But if you know, if you have someone who's a scholar and understands the history of the Bible and the history of biblical texts and, 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 and the history of uh, the, these type of, of books, because um, it's written in a style that, you know, like Daniel is, an what is it, the apocalyptic style, you know? So it's like, it's written in this similar style. Um, 
But it was really, what it is, is really a fantasy of revenge for John and the people of the present. Because the people of the present are being killed because they're Christians. They're being torn apart. And this is his letter of almost going like, this is what I hope God does. I hope God takes these horrible people who've taken my family, like a lot of us would feel, and freaking destroys them and kills them and their great beasts and their great armies and kills their fields and comes with a man, you know, does all this stuff and the blood, their blood will run in the streets. You know what I mean? This is probably people who've been through some horrible things. John has probably seen some horrible things to what other Christians are dealing with in this time under Nero. And is like, because now it's not just small groups in different parts of Israel. Um, it's all of Israel under Nero now, are, 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 all Christians are being persecuted. It was sometimes it was just smaller groups in different cities. Um, but it's a fantasy, and that's the style of writing that it's in. And I think it's interesting that we look at this and then we also look at the book of Daniel that like takes place and that was written, and that was written so much longer ago. But it's like these fantasies and these ideas um, that, that can't be proven, you know. And people are like, well, the mark, you know, I don't know how, every moment since I've been alive, I have had a Christian tell me more than once, every time a Democrat runs that he is the mark, that he is the Antichrist, you know. Or like every time I, I, and we get a new thing like fingerprints on the phones. Remember when we had to put our fingerprints? Oh, it's a 666. Now it's our face, you know, forehead 666. But, you know, I've heard this my whole life. I grew up with like A Thief in the Night, which was like this really horribly made movie about the rapture. Um, you know, I never read any of the Left Behind series. Uh, that was after my time. So I was more of that movie group but like the whole Tim LaHaye thing. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's just, it's just hair, it's just made up stuff of, it's the continue, it is more fan fiction written off of fan fiction. That's what Revelation to me is. The book of Revelation is fan fiction and hope for what could come and a misunderstanding of what God is. But if you think about it, if you think about John, if you think about John, hear me out for a second. Um, you know, for the majority of his life, the sacred texts, you know, were, were, were what we consider the Old Testament, were, where God was violent. You know, so all you really have is this Messiah Jesus showing up and you're going like, he's not really acting like God. Like we're going now, I'm going like, oh, Jesus isn't acting like Jesus in here, you know. And Jesus is the, the you know, the view of, of who we see, through, you know, that's how we see the uh, Jesus we see God through the lens of Jesus or whatever, you know? And so, but he was probably going like, well, you know, Jesus came and he was just kind of hippy-dippy dude. No, that's great, but he's going to come back and he's going to be more like God, you know? That's what was going on here. So it's not like it was like, oh, this guy just got and just writing complete, like, complete fiction and just pulling this out of nowhere. No, he's pulling this, you know, out of, you know, the Hebrew text. He's pulling this out of the Old Testament. He's pulling this, you know, pulling it out of, well, this is how I've seen God and how the people of, of God have, Israel has seen God before. So we're going to make Jesus like that, a violent God. You know, people always say, well, the God of the Old Testament is a violent, wrathful God and the God of the New Testament is a loving God. But if you read Revelation, it doesn't change. And so people like my pops and people like our family members who we might disagree with and, and people like, you know, a lot of... Um, Calvinists, you know, now I, I start listening and I read the book of Revelation and I go, oh, that's a lot of that. Oh, well, they're lining that up with that. Now, now, oh, so God is kind of an asshole to them, but they have biblical reason to back it up. You know, and now I'm coming along going like, well, it's just not really the Bible. They're, they're not going to like that. And that's going to take, you know, a lot. And I don't think Dan's going to convince them because Dan is a Mormon, so they're not going to listen to him. Um, <laughs> but hopefully they'll get their own Dan one day. Um, I don't know if Dan knows how much of a fanboy I am. So, like I said, it's either wishful thinking or fan fiction. Um, but like I said, it's been used as this kind of prophecy or psychic premonition book uh, for about 200 years. Tim, uh, I mean, there's a guy named Hale, Hale, 
Hale, Hale, Hale Lindsay, who was really big and uh, wrote a lot about when Jesus was coming back. I think he wrote a book about Jesus and said, like, Jesus was going to come back in the 80s. And Jesus didn't come back in the 80s, and he had a day. And then Jesus was going to come back in the 90s. And, oh, Jesus is going to come back in the 2000s. But his, his way of understanding, because he all got that from the book of Revelation. He got revelation from revelation that wasn't a revelation. Um, a lot of the stuff that comes back is like, you know, like, oh, those animals were actually, like, those, the, the, the plague of... Um, the plagues, you know, what did he say? Like the different plagues were different things. And he'd be like, like the eagles were fighter jets, you know? And, and these other animals were, the, you know, there were helicopters coming in and, and things like that. And, and, and literally when you read this stuff, it doesn't make sense because it's, I mean, you can, you can with the stretch of an imagination and a great script, you could do it. But it, that's not what the Bible's saying because in those things it says like people will be stung. I think they said the people will be stung but not die. You know, I don't know any fighter jets or, or, or war helicopters that don't kill you, um, that just sting you and you don't die. Anyway, so it's also one of the reasons why Christians and Americans have had such a relationship with Israel. And I mean, and it's kind of a screwed up read because it's an ulterior motive. It's like, you know, friendship evangelism. It's neither, you know, it's neither evangelism or friendship. It's this idea that like, oh, well, we're going to be friends with Israel because we've got to rebuild the temple and then we'll maybe get one of those orange calves or red calves or whatever, you know. And, and so you get a lot of these charismatic evangelicals who are like, well, we'll just push the hand of God. We're going to make these come true, you know. And it's almost like they don't realize they're being Judas's because in some ways I think that Judas's betrayal of Jesus was the hope that when Jesus got arrested, that the book of Revelation, something like that would happen. I think that's what Judas's thinking was. Or that he was just a normal dude and he would be crucified. I think that's how Judas probably saw it. Like, this is a no-win, this is a no-lose situation. Win-win, you know? Um, and then it seemed like he really kind of got a deeper understanding and unfortunately took his life. Um, So, but like, you know, so the, the, we have these ideas that like Christians think they can manipulate God into like returning. Like, so we'll rebuild the temple, but now we have to get in a war with, you know, some, some uh, with Muslims in order to get their temple. To, so we can rebuild our temple and if we get Israel, you know, so it, it, there's a lot that's come out of this type of like when Christians starting to get involved with the government and things like that, you know. Um, especially like evangelical Christians who don't have good scholarship and good teaching and good historical background of the Bible started to get super simple and like, oh, this is what it's all about. And I think, you know, why I so desperately talk about grace here and love so much at, at Revolution is because I see through Christ's blink of a few years of, of life and through Paul's work based off of that, which is the earliest connection we have to that, I see people who... I think do believe God's coming back sooner, not 2,000 years away, but probably a few years away. But they also seem to be genuinely want people to love and care about one another. They genuinely seem to have this idea of, of, of loving others and learning how to live within community and not a community that, where everybody gets along and thinks alike. No, it's, it's, not, it's not how it worked. So, so people think they can manipulate prophecy and make it come true. That's another problem that's there. But like I said before, this book is not, Revelation is not a prophetic book. It is a book written about the time. And we're going to talk about 666 in a minute. And when we talk about 666 in a minute, I think that's one reason it shows that, one of the reasons we'll show why it's a story about that time. It's a story about leaders at that time who are killing and persecuting Christians and getting revenge, and then some obscure people getting revenge on them as well because it looks like John probably had a connection to them. Um, to give you an idea how controversial the book of Revelation has been over the years, like when, it, when, when Martin Luther had the printing press and, uh, and did the first Bible as a book form, <laughs> not as like 500 scrolls, um, I believe Revelation got put in like the afternotes. Like it's not even like the last book. I think it was like in like 
Oh, and then there's this book too, because I even Martin Luther was like, this doesn't, I don't know if this should be in there. You know, he didn't even do that to James, in which he thought James shouldn't even be in the Bible at all. Um, so Revelation has always been something controversial, but it's really kind of a 200-year-old thing where people have been like, oh, it's, it's, it's the prediction of the end of times. And, and it's unfortunate that so many people who've become obsessed with this book, I think the fruit speaks for it, is what they're driven to and how they live life and what they say about the future and how they continue to, you know, it just doesn't seem to like have come to pass you know, and it seems you're able to love people less when you think Jesus is going to come back and slay everybody. But if revelation was true, you know, like 80% of the, every human being who ever lived would be burning in hell forever in a torture eternity. And that just, how to, Jesus says different things about hell, but he says hell like in different thoughts of different religions and in different like places and actual places. And so I don't believe in hell. Just if you want to know what I my thoughts are on the whole situation. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in a burning place. I, I don't even know if there's a heaven. I hope there is. I'd love to see my mom again and hang out. Um, but um, but the whole point is, is like this this thing, it would be like we really, it, it, we never, nothing ever is victorious. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he got to come down and slay all these, all these people and be a bastard and get revenge like a really great movie. And, um, but most of the people are just burned up because, you know, that's what they were made for and God doesn't really care about people. It's just proven a point, you know. Um, it's not good news. It's, it's really fairly bad news. And I, and I see it, and I saw it when I was on the phone with my father. My father's like, I'm worried you're going to go to hell. And I'm like, but just a simple understanding of the Christian faith is that you're saved by faith, not by work. So it's not by my theology or what I believe is that I've accepted, you know, I accept Jesus. So why can't we just agree that we're both love Jesus, you know? And, uh, that wasn't, you know, he was really, really worried that I was going to burn in hell. And, um, I don't think I could follow a God that I was think was going to torture my children. That would be really hard for me. But let's look at the book like this. And, um, Uh, but let's look at why I, I think like a book like this and the pastoral epistles made it into the canon, which I, I've kind of mentioned. Um, but I, I, I was this is a verse that kept really coming to me as I was doing this study and, and working on this stuff was um, Luke. What um, was Luke twenty three? I'm sure they're much better verses, but this one just kept coming to me. Um, it's Luke 23, it starts at 32. Two others also were criminals, were led away and put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, the, they crucified Jesus there with his criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, what they are doing. And I think the idea of having your enemies in the middle of killing you horrifically and killing people next to you horrifically and making you as an example uh, to other people who rebel against the government basically in saying, if this is the Son of God saying, forgive them, Father, forgive them, God, for they know not what they do. Forgive their ignorance. And I think... When, like I said before, is when you look at people like John or you look at people who wrote, whoever wrote the pastoral epistles and you see that like, these folks felt like, oof, we need more control in religion. Oh, people aren't acting right. We need a little bit more of law. We need to add a little bit more law into religion, you know, or, or we need some sort of, like, forgive them for they knew not what they do wasn't enough for them. And it might have been their culture. It might have been the way they were raised. I don't know. But we see this a lot in Christians. Like I posted this thing the other day. This person is like, why does hate or like something like, why is Christian love so full of hate? Or why does Christian love hurt so bad or something like that? Like why do Christians hate so much? Why is there so much hate in their love? I can't remember. But 
it was something to that idea of like when we even we love people it seems a bit hateful like well i just love you and that's why i'm telling you you're a horrible person and you're going to burn in hell you know you're going like that makes no damn sense um so so you've got this jesus saying forgive them for they know not what they do i mean we don't like to forgive people for their ignorance now I mean, the left is getting really bad at that. Like, somebody says something, says something dumb, says something that they grew up in a different way, and then they have to make like, this huge public apology, and then a lot of, oh, that's too late. It's too late for that. You know, the left has become very, like, legalistic when it comes to, to like, that kind of thing and, like, not forgiving. And, and then I talk to some of my progressive brothers and sisters, and they're like, I hate the Apostle Paul. And I'm like, well, if you look at this, because Apostle Paul is the one who really lays out grace really well. And I'm going like, well, if you, if you cut out Paul, you're going to miss grace. So I, I can understand why you might say like, oh yeah, screw them, you know, we're not going to forgive them. But when you start reading Paul, you're almost like, well, that's what separates me from everybody else, is loving my enemies and forgiving them. That's what makes me a follower, like a follower of Christ in my works and on the outside. That's really the only thing is that. That's the big thing. And then some people who aren't Christians do that really well. But that's the big thing is not getting revenge, not demanding your own way, not cutting people off, not saying like you, you forgive people because they're ignorant. You know, you forgive them and you speak with them and you talk to them and you get to know them and you, you, you recognize each other's humanity, you know, and you allow other people to feel real and human and accepted. And that's just a tough thing to do in this world anymore. You know, so that's what you've got going on there. And um, because Jesus is not giving us the normal human nature reaction. Forgive them. You know, if I'm in the middle of being tortured and killed and beaten and dragged through a city, you know, my thought isn't like, I'm going to just say a little prayer out loud to forgive them, you know. You know, I'd be like, I'll see you in hell. Tell them Jay sent you. You know, something like that, you know, something... I saw in a movie. Um, so here's the real twist, though. The real hard problem with this is that the problem is, is that this information is canon. So without good scholarship, why not embrace the vengeful God? It lines up with the most of the Bible. Maybe not Jesus or Paul, but you can get a lot of very Old Testament vibes out of it. So why not accept it? So that's the thing we've got to look at. And I, what, I'm, what I'm, I hope this will do will encourage us to seek out better scholarship and to learn how to do scholarship on our own. Because I did that most of my early life. Now, thank goodness, people like Dan and people, like, and people who befriended me at, 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 at Bible schools have allowed me to come and take classes and things like that, you know, but, but it, you know, and I've got friends who are, who are philosophers and friends who have doctorates in biblical studies that help me out. And, you know, I, I just emailed out to Dan as a stranger saying, hey, I, I've got these questions. And he goes, oh, there, there's this book and this book. And he sent me, like, copies online, like, just copies I could read. He's like, oh, let me just send you a link to that. Or let me send you, a, a, you know, a, whatever we send through the computers nowadays. I don't know. I'm so computer irrelevant. But now I'm able to go out and buy those books because I like to read everything on, on paper. And, uh, you know, to understand better scholarship. And um, I've also found, like, you know, historians and, and, and archaeologists and, and archaeology helps a lot, too. Like, oh, was that even there? Would that happen? I mean, these, this is good stuff that has helped me feel, you know, by reading good scholars, some of them Christians, some of them not. Sometimes I prefer them not to be because they don't have, I don't feel like they, like they're, <laughs> you know, they don't have a dog in the fight. But it's this, this concept and this idea of like getting good scholarship and, and helping us what, what was, what, what's real and what's not real, you know? What is Christ and what is not Christ? And I've always struggled with Revelation because I've never felt like it was felt very Jesus-y to me. I always was brought more fear by it, more uncomfort by it. As a child, it terrified me, it terrified my friends. You know, this rapture idea, all this stuff, and, and, and then post-trib and pre-trib and all these different tribulation things, you know. Um, you know, and realize that it's, it's fantasy that so many people that we love and care about have bought into it as being complete truth. It is tough. 
And I don't like saying it, but I also don't like, you know, I also know it's there in the Bible and that it just takes you up to another level of more grace. You have to show more grace because you're going like, well, it's not that they're just, it's not like, oh, they're just born legalistic jerks. They're, they're just assholes. No, it's they've heard that taught their whole life. You know, how do we sit down and go, this isn't what you think it is. Like, this is prophecy that didn't come true and it made it in the Bible. And I know that's really hard for you. It's not even prophecy, this one. But there are prophecies in the Bible that haven't come true. There are things that have been, you know. And that's just part of this faith is that it's very human. There's a lot of humanity in this, you know. And people don't accept, they don't want to say, like, well, there's contradictions in books of the Bible. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of contradictions. That's okay because sometimes contradictions come together and create something that's even greater than truth. If you know, if you've read Hegel, you know that's really there's really something amazing and beautiful about that. That contradictions aren't always a bad thing. Um, but it's like we get afraid of the truth, so we only. Well, I just need you know, I need an apologist, you know, someone who's going to 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 defend it as the truth, no matter what. And the more people who think it's true along with me will comfort me for in that way, and that's what it does. And so why do our, our people that we love and care about start getting mad at us and yelling at us and we aren't questioning it? Because it makes them uncomfortable. Because it exposes their own doubt, you know, that they live with. And I have doubts of the good stuff I like in here. Not even, you know, and, and the stuff that I do agree with, I have doubts about. So they've got to have doubts about that stuff as well. And um, so it's, it's a struggle, you know? I mean, so, so I'm just saying we can't say we cornered the religious truth. Like, well, I just know what real Christianity is. And that may be, but that may be because you attended a good school, you know, and that you did a lot of really good studying or that you study on your own and that you've self-taught like myself, you know, like you, you've really worked on it and that you continue to grow in your faith and understanding and these ideas. Um, you know, but some people have just had like, oh, I got the Strong's Concordance and I got a Bible. Let's go, you know. And, and unfortunately, it's a little bit more difficult than that. It's like loving people is way more difficult than you'd think it would be, you know? And I don't know how anybody's made it biblical that you would kick out, like, one of your gay kids or one of your conservative kids or, <laughs> you, you know, you cut people out. Like, I don't know. Like, this doesn't seem to line up with the Christ Christianity as I understand it, <laughs> you know? Like, kicking people out and cutting people off. Oh, they're toxic, Jay. Well, I get it. And I cut talk, I've cut a couple people that I felt toxic out of my life for a time. But there's always a door there. You know, there's always a door that we can open up or we can renegotiate or we can talk about things. You know what I mean? It's like, um, and I also have to accept my own side of the street. You know, like, why is it toxic to me? Is there something that's inside me that's it's affecting that it's like TNT when we come together that there's something on my side of the street that I need to own? I learned that a lot in 12-step. A lot of the people I blamed for things, I'm going like, oh, shit, they were dealing with me, you know, wasted, or they were dealing with me like this, or I had this kind of want and, you know, and this kind of need. Anyway, that's my, my, my long twist to that. So hopefully we will have more grace for our, our, our misinformed family and friends. You know, as Dr. King said, uh, people are not my enemy. Misinformation is my enemy. Telling them parts of the Bible are misguided or even forgeries is a long road. When I've told my father that I don't believe in hell, <laughs> that's when he thinks I'm going there, or when... You know, I go, well, this is a forgery and this is wrong. And I think, and I told him last time I talked to him, I said, I thought Revelation, we only, we only talked once in like four years and I told him I thought Revelation was fan fiction. Revenge porn is what I called it. And it you know, I probably could have gotten a little easier on that, to be honest with you. But he knew the part I was talking about because he knows both views, you know, so he knew where I was coming from in some ways. Um... But this is, the under, this is the one that I think is interesting, and, and I'm going to end with this verse, and then we'll talk about 666. I haven't forgot, because everybody loves the mark of the beast. Um, and then, of course, Striper 777. Um, let's see. We're going to have to jump over to Matthew for this one. Uh, Matthew 27. Here we go, Matthew 27. 
And, I, and, I, and I'm funny is I, I've used this before and I always thought that this was one of those verses that, uh, you know, I don't know if it's, that probably didn't really happen, but maybe it did. Um, but I always kind of just kind of like read over real fast until I met, which is, I, this is really strange to me, until I met my friend Peter Rollins, who's this philosopher. And then he mentioned it and I heard him talk about it. And I was like, oh man, that's, that's a good look at that. And, and, and then I've also read some things that Tillich said about it. And I'm like, oh, oh, I see, oh, oh. I, you know. And so you, you know, and it's just funny because, you know, the, the, sometimes you get like the most like spiritual insight from the, the people you would expect the least to be kind of like frou-frou or like spirit, you know, magical, that kind of thing. Um, so, Hear me out, Matthew 27. Um, and this is the Jesus' death again. Um, 27, I didn't put a verse, so we'll just start at 49. But others said, wait till see what, whether Elijah will come and save him. Uh, that's the other part. And then Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. It goes on to say like the dead were raised and all this kind of stuff. Um, but the, the, the temple curtain was split in two. And I love how we always, well, I've heard preachers talk about like how thick the curtain was. Like it was a super thick curtain, you know? <laughs> like that's the amazing part that a curtain just ripped in half. Like it could have been paper thin curtain and it's still ripped in half, you know, and dead arising. I'm still like a little bit like, even if the dead just shaked, I'd still be, well, that was pretty, pretty impressive, you know. <laughs> and the curtain, it was like a foot thick and it ripped down because only God or the power team could rip this curtain down. But it's the Holy Holies. It's where the priest would have a freaking thing tied, you know, a rope tied to his, his, his ankle and walking in to give the sacrifice to God you know, before God, and this is where God's presence was reigned, and then, you know, only though, you know, they had the rope there in case the guy wasn't holy enough because he would drop dead in the presence of God, you know, in this rips, you know, and then behind this curtain sits this big gas cloud of God sitting there going, I have the secret. No, nothing. There's nothing back there. Not every lost sunglasses or <laughs> lighters. <laughs> pile of lighters. God is a pile of lighters, lost lighters. No, there's nothing. There's nothing behind the curtain. And what happens when there's nothing behind the curtain? You know, God isn't there. And for most people reading this, they were saying, well, because obviously God was on the cross. But I think there's another way of looking at this as well. is in, in, in the book that uh, Attilic wrote called The Courage to Be, he wrote, The courage to be is rooted in the God who appears when, the God, disappe when God disappears in the anxiety and doubt. So, so the courage to be is rooted in the God who appears when God disappears in our anxiety and doubt. The God beyond God. That is what happens, is the moment is something happens, the stress, something breaks in us, this, and there's something happening there, is then we meet the God beyond God, the God beyond our own understanding. And I think that's what happened. And I think when we look at books like the Pastoral Epistles or the Book of Revelation, what we're seeing is people who are writing in the God of their understanding. But what they don't realize is that God's not there anymore. That God is not behind a curtain. That's split open and gone. There's nothing there. So there's this God beyond God now. And the God beyond God seems to be this thing that says, do something that doesn't feel normal. Do something that doesn't make sense. You know, do something that's not, you know, uh, going to make you more money or make you richer or make you safer, you know. So this is, I think, a type of thing we experience when we're in the eye, the, the, the presence of the unknown God. Is 
I'm able to look at a book like Revelation and go like, you know what, I might not... You know, I might not understand my God, the God beyond God, but I, I, I don't know what that is exactly and put my finger on it. Maybe it's the ground of being. Maybe it's something connected to us all together as humans. You know, um, maybe it's love. Maybe it's, this, you know, but, 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 I, but I'm able to look at something and go, that's just a, a human's need for revenge. It's just someone wanting to get even who feels like, they, you know, they it's like when you're in a bad relationship and you break up or you stop being friends and all of a sudden it's like, we need closure. You know, but no matter how many conversations you have, you're never going to get closure. You just have to move on and accept that absence that's there. And I think that's something that people have to live with rather than like, you know, I'm just going to re, I'm going to rewrite the story so it feels better. And I think that's what you have is people coping with the unknown God, with this Jesus who comes down and goes, well, this is, here's a peak of really what God is. And then he goes, loving your neighbor, being kind to people. It's, it's not about, you know, it's not this God that wants to make you rich and happy and all this stuff. It's a God who's going to make your life kind of tough and make you like have relationships with other human beings. And, and it's, you know, you're going to grieve when you see other people suffer kind of weird thing. Um, that you're going to care about the homeless or whatever. You know, there's things I should do that I don't do that I want to do, but I need to do, and I feel like I should do, but I don't do. To, <laughs> as, as the Apostle Paul said better in Romans. Um, but but at least those things are different than, like, I don't feel like I need to get revenge all the time. I want it sometimes, but I, I know that that's not the way. That I know that love and grace is the way. Um, and so I think what we're seeing is folks trying to make the infinite finite and trying to make the infinite finite and, and we can't do that you know we can't really understand the infinite so we try to make it finite and uh, you know God created us in his image and then we returned the favor as, as uh, Brennan Manning used to say um, <laughs> And that's what I think. Those are my two cents there, and that might get you into some trouble. Now, here's the part about 666 that I thought was interesting because I didn't want to leave that out. Um, and I'm going to, it was in a Bart Ehrman book um, that I, I was listening to. So if you want to, you know, so if any of you philosophers or theologians out there are like, oh, this guy's a heretic, totally, then you can just seals it because I know most Christian philosophers, theologians hate Bart Herman for some reason or think he's bad um, or afraid of him. I think they're just like, oh, you know, he doesn't believe in God and he tells the truth. I don't like that. <laughs> two things I don't like. <laughs> I don't know what is, I, I mean, I don't think he's a person of faith, but I'm not completely sure, but I, I think, you know, so here we go. Um, so the angel who's talking to John uh tells him that the number a 666 is a person. It's a person. It's not just a mark. It's the Antichrist. And it's whoever the next Democratic nominee for president is, as I have learned my whole life. Um, is a person. Recalls that the image of the beast and the sea of the malevolent, mul mul in some senses the city of Rome, in some sense the empire of Rome, in some sense, the emperor of Rome. In this case, it is a man, though, which is to say the emperor. John is especially incensed that the beast is persecuting and martyring Christians. What do you know? You know, and what's really crazy is when it was persecuting and martyring Christians, what, what John is talking about is actually Christians being martyred and persecuted, like literally killed and their families being killed and things like that. Um, so somebody just said Bart Ehrman's a happy agnostic. Agnostic. He always seems a little grumpy to me, but maybe he's like, as an agnostic, that's as happy as you can get. I'm kidding. Um, it wasn't people being like, oh my God, gay people are getting married. My rights are being, now I'm being, you know, it's not what a lot of, we see a lot of Christians upset about now. Um, sorry, guys. Sorry, my, sorry to my friends on the right. I'm not trying to give you a hard time or... And it's also, and it wasn't what the Christian on the left say, like, oh, they won't use my pronouns and they won't do this and now I'm being persecuted. It wasn't you guys either. 
I mean, this was people being killed, like we see in other countries, like literally their lives taken from them being beaten, murdered, and, and tortured, and having all their wealth taken away because they believed in Jesus. That, I mean, this was really bad stuff. So right or left, guess what? It, it wasn't what we think persecution is now. Like, I can't believe that that, you know, that actor said that. <laughs> um, can't believe Jim Baker's selling food buckets. Oh, you know, it's like, like this is what grieves you now? Like, okay. Um, was Nero who ruled, <laughs> we have seen it first in Roman emperors do, <laughs> to do was, Nero was ruled, Nero ruled from 54 to 68 CE. And this is where the, where the, this idea of, it's called Jamatra, I believe, it kicks in. It's, it's, it's the spelling of things added with numbers, which we see like, in like the prayer of Jabez and things, or like, the, you know, the, you see in some books, like, oh, the secret code of, of Jesus, you know. This isn't something that's used often, but this guy was using it at this time. And, they, and so these numbers with letters. And so he goes, but what, what the author is referring to is the name as spelled in Hebrew rather than Greek. Numerology puzzles are inherently intriguing. And perhaps John is simply heightening the mystery. That would be one reason he introduced this discussion by saying, this calls for wisdom. It's not going to be simple. There is an additional curiosity. Why do some early manuscripts of Revelations give the number as 616? As it turns out, there are two ways to spell Caesar Nero in Hebrew, one with and without it, with an N at the end of his name, Nero with the silent N, I hope, or Neron, or Nero in Hebrew. So what he's saying here is, is what we're learning is, is it spells out Nero, you know, it, 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 it's it, in Hebrew, the N is in the letter none. When you use numeral, none represents 50, and there is spelled with noon. Nero adds, Nero's name adds up to 666 without the noon. It is 616 without the noon. John is definitely talking about Nero. Nero committed suicide in 68 CE, but rumors began to calculate that he had not died and that he had fled to Partha. So that's why in the, in the story of Revelation, this 666 thing, this beast, comes back to life, comes back from the dead to wreak havoc on the end of the age. But the end of the age, in John's mind, is that time period when he is reading, writing this book. So... So the angel is telling him the beast's name, and the beast's name is, is Caesar Nero. The Nero ruled for, you know, this is what it adds up to, Caesar Nero, not Bill Clinton, or not, you know, the mark of the beast that we're all going to get on our wrist, or not Amazon. Um, he was saying that even, like, sometimes, like, um, which I thought this was funny, that even, like, lefty Christians do this to support the 666 thing when they believe Revelation is, is a, a prediction. Um, um, and so, like, if 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 you if when 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 Trump was 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 elected in 2016, some progressive Christians were saying um, that which if you Trump was elected in 2016, which it turns out, in the sum of six 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 plus six 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 plus six 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 plus six plus six plus six equals up to 2016. So obviously, he is the Antichrist. Uh, so everybody, you know, wants the prophecies to be there, but it's not a book of prophecy. It was a book of wishful thinking and hoping that uh, God would tear apart his enemies and that it would do it in the form of Jesus. And Jesus would come down and, and just become like, you know, would need blood, that his, his sacrifice wasn't enough, that Jesus wasn't enough, that loving your enemies wasn't enough, that you had to like tear them up in human form and then not only make them suffer within life, but then cause them to suffer in the afterlife. And to me, this sounds like, well, it just sounds like fiction. So there you go. But it's in the canon. So have fun with that, you know? Good luck with that, as I like to say, you know? That's where we're at. But I think this type of, I think that when I first saw Dan the first few times, I reached out to him and I said, I feel like your work is vitally important, you know? And he's like, why do you think that? And then I was like, should I, like, I can't tell this guy, like, I think your work is going to lead us into reformation. Like, that seems kind of insane to say to somebody when you first meet him. But I think 
good scholarship, good understanding, biblical understanding would really lead the church into a great reformation. And I don't think we should shame people for having simple belief systems, especially when they were raised that way and taught that way, because those things are really hard to let go, uh, especially when you have family and people you love and care about all wound up in that, you know, that fantasy. Um, you don't want to hear it. It's fantasy. You don't, you know, there's certain things you just, you know, it's hard to, to realize aren't true, you know. Um, but that's also very much life sometimes is we don't always get our happy ending, you know. I usually don't. So there's your good news. That's, that's my radical, heretical reforming message for today. I hope uh, it was, you enjoyed it and it was worth the wait. Um, so there you go. Um, good luck with that. Like, you know what? And, and if, if I'm wrong and you go, oh, Jay, I, I don't agree with this, you know, find the scholarship. Find it in the work. You know, come back and tell me what I missed. Sorry. Tell me. You know, show me I'm wrong. I'm I, I'm 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 totally up to that. Totally up to being wrong. Um, in a lot of ways, that would be much easier. So, there you go. Uh, if you appreciate this work, what I'm doing, what Revolution is trying to do, um, is really not throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, just trying to get rid of some of that bathwater. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you can go to revolutionchurch.com and you can support us through PayPal or Venmo. Um, and you can do a monthly thing if you'd like. It really helps keep us going. allows me to do my work. Um, and if, if you're like, oh, I like revolution, but it's like being a part of this community and then it like things get sent to the next day. You know, that's kind of weird, you know? But I'll ask, say this, you could ask any preacher's kid if they ever wished that their, their dad would have, you know, put Sunday off to Monday if they could have and, and, and put them as the priority over, you know, the, the community and also made it priority for the speaking, not, not to just be okay, but to be good and, and to be best, the best studied it could be to that point. Um, you know, the kids would probably say, yeah, yeah, I wish my parents would have spent more time with, I would say that I'm a PK, um, PK is preacher's kid. So that's what I do. And that's how revolution rolls is, put kids first and um, I'm going to put quality, you know, over, <laughs> over a deadline. Now that's my new thing is like, listen, I, I'm not going to let deadlines let me bring you something that's half-assed. Um, and that might seem half-assed to some people, but that's where I'm at right now. And that's, I, I really wanted to bring that to you to in a complete way that made sense to me. So I hope I passed it on to you and it makes sense to you. And uh, I hope you can support this work because we need it to continue doing it. And I hope you'll share this talk with people if you agreed with it, if it sat well with you, because I think at least it's worth good discussion, you know? And um, I think it, it would keep, I, I think, you know, at least it opens up good, good discussion with other people and uh, talking about the importance of scholarship and that type of thing. Uh, because scholarship is so valuable and important, I say this again, is because we're dealing with, you know, the Bible's not perfect, and a lot of us were raised to believe that it was like the Word of God handed down from God, and um, that's also more of a newer concept. <laughs> and so, you know, those are the things that we need to be able to, to talk about. Um, I mean, I think Christianity's dying out anyway, but it's going to die out a lot faster if we don't learn to, you know, use our brains a little bit more and be willing to take a little bit of time to go a little bit deeper. And you might say, you yeah, don't have time for that. Well, I will work my best to take time to do that and make that happen and study hard and share those uh, conclusions with you as well. So hopefully you feel that you're not alone in this uh, thing. And I will try to uh, recommend books when I can. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for coming out on a Monday. And we might move to Monday eventually because I never have my kids on Monday. Um, and it might be easier and more uh, responsible and respectful of them and your time. So thank you so much. We'll have a special guest next week and we'll see you, uh, see you soon. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. 